0: coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. But the name of your condition, can you explain to our listening audience exactly what it is and what does it do to the body, sir? Yes,
1: uh, it's called multiple myeloma and it's a blood cancer. It's a cancer of your blood plasma. After we
2: read his book and looked at some of the things, we said, my goodness gracious, we need to get Michael on the show and let him tell his story. Of how God has worked in His life and continues to work
1: in it. After that, after that, I had a stem cell transplant. I was told I might not walk upright again, without a brace. I didn't agree with that, <laughs> and and uh, went from there. And now I'm on 421 days straight of walking at least four miles a day, uh, and and I thank God every
0: day for every day uh, that I have. A lot of it means a lot. So here's a man stepped away with all of his plans and now all of a sudden doing everything right, but sometimes bad things happen to good people. I can tell you that there's, there's a portion of the book um,
1: where uh, I talk about wanting to die.
0: I just think it's so awesome when grown alpha males can share our feelings, I think that's a new normal guys we have to share we have to share with the people who love us and we love them
2: mike and we always ask our guests how do you find common ground
0: well there's there's a
1: couple of ways but i probably the most obvious one is i deal a lot with
0: advocating for chronically ill people there are two sides to every coin how do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships finding common ground and all those issues that we come against there's black And there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people
2: just by God just bringing them in.
0: Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for better understanding. Father God, we just come to you and just say thank you for life, just thank you for friends, just thank you for those who can love you enough to tell you the truth. So God, we thank you for the truth. We thank you for just so many blessings. Usually we get down on our knees and we have a laundry list of complaints or concerns, but this morning, God, we just want to say thank you. So I thank you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. I pray and believe. Amen.
2: Dear Heavenly Father, I I, I echo my friend's prayer. I I want to give thanks. I want to give thanks for all the things you've done uh, for me and my family, the blessings you've given us. I want to thank you for My partner losing 21 pounds and more to go. Lord, uh, I want to thank you for the energy and the support and the volunteers that are helping us put on our fundraiser this weekend. Uh, We've sold out. We've got 150 people coming to our Kentucky Derby party to raise money for the Youth of North Carolina Youth Protection Symposium. Lord, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It could only be done through you. Amen.
1: Heavenly Father. First of all, I praise you, and I rejoice in everything that you've given me. I rejoice in the, the opportunity to speak with Bill and Odell today. I ask you to lead me and put the words in my mouth that brings honor to you.
0: Amen. Amen. Bill, now, the, our listeners know that a couple of shows ago, Sandy Brady challenged me to lose weight. Okay, now, 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 Bill, the pressure of losing weight to the good looking black man is this It's enough for every our listeners in every state. And now we're in 24 countries. But you just you just told God on me, Bill. You just you just put the pressure on me. You went to the heavenly father, said in your prayer, Father God, thank you for my friend losing. twenty. I mean, come on, Bill. What can I do after that? I can't even backslide, Bill. I can't even backslide.
2: No, you're right. You're right, because by the time you get done with this diet, you won't have a back to slide on.
0: Bill, don't say don't say the four-letter word. Bill, don't <laughs> say the four-letter word. Say program. Say program, program.
2: Program. Okay, it's a program. I'm glad you're on a program. I've been th- wondering when you're going to get on a program. You need a program. In fact, you know I've you know, been. That's
0: you today. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. You're on the road now. You said your fat buddy. You were wondering when I was going to get on a yeah. program. You said yeah. you eat too much pizza, and I need to get on a program. Go ahead, Bill. Tell me how you really feel.
2: I I, I think this program stuff is good as long as you keep it over there. I. Uh, you know, when COVID came, uh, you know, we, I stopped, I, you know, we were all c- confined. I lost 15 pounds uh, and my wife gained it because <laughs> she was working out every day and I was going to lunch every day. And so uh, I worked around the house and I lost 15 pounds. It was great. I think I got gave, gained it back, but uh, it was good while it lasted.
0: Well, you know, to your point, we're talking about health. You know, we talk about one's health and our guest today, Bill's like, wow, what amazing story. What do you say to a man who looked death in the face? Or I don't want to be dramatic, because you know, I lost 21 pounds. You know, when you start losing pounds, Bill, you start getting dramatic and cute. And I'm looking at clothes in the closet that I haven't looked at, and I put them on and said, Not yet. No, the stomach said, Not yet. You're coming, <laughs> no, no. but not yet. You need to put that in the back of the closet. But this man had a bout with his health. And God bless them. What do you do with that, Bill?
2: Well, you're right. He's God's put him through the uh, the job experience, so to speak, mm. with his health. And uh, you know, you know how we met him was through Brad Miller. Now, you know, Brad is the vice president of sales at uh, Hooker Furniture. He's also a very good friend, Boy Scouting friend, and uh, he's he's a avid listener to this podcast. So I know Brad, you're listening. So hello and thank you for listening. Uh but he he asked he put us in touch with Michael. And uh and after we read his book and looked at some of the things we said my goodness gracious we need to get Michael on the show and let him tell his story of how God has worked in his life and continues to work in it. So uh without any further ado Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Now, Michael, I'm going to ask you to give your, your background, where you're at, and then kind of how you got
1: there a little bit. Okay. Uh, started at the beginning, was born and raised in Utah. Uh, came out to North Carolina uh, to go to school. Met my wife and eventually moved, moved out here. Been in the Southeast uh, for close to 45 years now. Um, my wife and I have been married going on 43 years. Um, worked, uh, worked in, in uh, industry. I'm an engineer industrial engineer, and eventually ended up in the furniture industry, and then eventually ended up in international production and sales. Uh, So I've been in about 35 countries um, all over the world. That's how I met Brad, was through international sales. And um, about five years ago, uh, I pretty much got tired of traveling and decided I was going to retire to starting my own business, which was like jumping out of the frying pan and going, going into the fire. Uh, got into that business. It was a window cleaning and exterior home cleaning business, and I uh, was in it about a year and a half, uh, was really starting to do well. The company was growing, and a major change happened in my life. I uh, My back started hurting one day, and within six weeks, I found out I had multiple myeloma. Uh, in another six weeks, I had seven uh, totally collapsed vertebrae, uh, three back operations, and was starting chemotherapy to get ready to have a stem cell transplant. Um, I can't explain what that was like. I, it's, it's just so very difficult. Um, I went through the chemotherapy, uh, and in the process, uh, had three more collapsed vertebrae for a total of 10. And again, a lot of pain, a lot going on in, in my life. And um, after, the, after that, I had a stem cell transplant, was told I might not walk upright again without a brace. I didn't agree with that <laughs> and, and uh, I went from there. And now I'm on 421 days straight, of walking at least four miles a day. Uh, and, and I thank God every day for every day Uh, That I have. And right now I'm in remission. This is a disease where it's going to come back on me. Uh, But uh, I try to do everything I can. And in the process of being sick, I found out I was a writer. Uh, I started writing blogs, uh, have my own blog site, writeforbloodcancer.com. And then I started writing uh, with a friend. We wrote a book, wrote a novel. I've written another uh, novelette and I'm in the process of editing my second novel. So uh, God led me in a direction <laughs> from being sick to something I would, would have never thought about.
2: Wow, what a story. What a testimony. You know, one of the things we'd love you to do, uh, think about uh, maybe a small section of your novel or your book that you'd like to read that might have some meaning
1: to you. Uh, gosh, I don't even know that I have the book with me. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> okay, I, I hold it up. If you can let me step away for a second, I'll see if I can find it. Sure, sure, you can do Bill, that.
0: Bill. You and- know, Bill. One of the things about it, as Mike grabs it, the thing about it, and for our audience is when we look at our plans, because he was so to the point that he was doing his thing, he worked, he's gonna start his own business, stepped away. And in some cases, when you step away, you step away from insurance, you step away from benefits, you step away from vacation, you step away from a lot of the perks that's associated with corporate America. And when you step away from that, a lot of it means a lot. So here's a man stepped away with all of his plans and now all of a sudden doing everything right, but sometimes bad things happen to good people and i guess from the excitement of sharing with his wife who he loves and she loves him that hey this is our new reality of this business and the struggles now i was like wait a minute what's this other unwelcome reality that took precedence over everything so th- those are the things that you know mike when you think about it how did you first thing i don't even know what i know you you called it but the name of your condition, can you explain to our listening audience exactly what it is and what does it do to the body, sir? Yes,
1: uh, it's called multiple myeloma and it's a blood cancer. It's a cancer of your blood plasma. And what it does is it gets into your bone marrow where your blood plasma is made and you start making bad blood cells. And those bad blood cells, those bad blood cells accumulate in your bone and weakens your bone. And for most people with multiple myeloma, it, it causes breaks in the bone, cysts in their bones. It weakens their bones. A lot of people have issues with their kidneys, uh, because of too much calcium leaking in into their system, but it's, it's a v- very individual, um, uh, disease. Uh, everybody reacts to it differently. I, I know people that didn't even have a bone break. It, it attacked their kidneys. Uh, uh, I, it just happened to come into my back. Uh, And I know other people were attacks, their long bones, like their femurs and that type of thing. Um, I didn't have, I have what they call the common kind, which is the most treatable. Yet it, it came at me like a train. Uh, When it hit me, I had no idea it was coming. I had, I'm I'm a, I was a runner. I worked out at the gym every day. I was a gym rat. I played pickup basketball. Uh, I thought I was in great shape. I ran four miles that morning when I got sick uh, wow. and felt fine and then went to the job site to do work. And all of a sudden, the back started hurting. But but it, it just attacks people different ways. But mostly, it is in their bone marrow system and their the strength. Well,
0: Mike, how, how, how old were you at the time when all this occurred? Just short of 60. I was 59 years old. Okay. So now, you know, I grew up in public school in South Carolina. And I failed the third grade and the fourth grade. I think it's a little bit of me and a little bit of the system. But how many vertebrae are they in one back? Because you said ten of yours start collapsing. Do you know? Uh, I know well, you I, know. I, I should know this. There's twenty something. It's in the mid twenties.
1: So it was a good portion. Wow. A good portion of my vertebrae broke. I lost. I've lost four inches in height. Uh, so my my total body has changed. It caused the inside of my body to shift around. I ended up with a a huge hernia because my stomach had nowhere to go. So it popped up through my diaphragm. Um, It was, uh, there there were a lot of other things that were going on while these bones were breaking. And it's just amazing after it's all said and done, how my body changed over that period of time.
2: How do you find, uh, uh, how do you find, uh, how do you get diagnosed with this? uh, you know, you, you found out the hard way when your back hurt, is there a way you go in, get a test?
1: There is, but it's, it's such an uncommon cancer, uh, that I don't think doctors really test for it. It's there's, there's a lot of stories out there like mine where people just didn't know what was going on. You know, you, you start having a backache and, you're told, ah, oh, it's just old age. You know, you pulled your muscle. Uh, we're going to shoot you up with some cortisone and you'll be fine in a couple of weeks and you don't get better. And it, with me, it happened. They finally did an MRI on me and, uh, to, and they found the first collapsed vertebrae. But the doctor that was reading the MRI had an MRI from two years previous when I'd hurt my back again. And that's when he pointed out to my wife and i that he said look at two years ago look at now and the the contrast in the bone wow uh, structure was totally different my bone looked spongy um, when he did it and he said you need to go get a blood test and they test for a, a monoclonal protein uh, and they call it they're looking for an m spike and if that if that protein shows up in your blood then you've got multiple myeloma and that's so they, he sent me to that, and that's when I found out that I had it. But it, it was too late; things were things were falling apart fast.
2: Yeah, yeah. The uh, I guess what you, the, the lesson learned here is get your annual physical and get a blood test.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. And I and I had to, had my physical a couple months before that, and really, but didn't look at the blood. Didn't have much of a blood test, but it's it's something that it's
0: you have to test special for
1: it. special for it. Uh,
0: yeah. To find it. Yeah. And, you know, Bill, a lot of times insurance companies and I'm not beating up on insurance companies, but sometimes the insurance companies try to take you through all that. Uh, Bill, Odell, Mike, what would we do if we got that diagnosis, Bill, and all of a sudden we have to tell our loved ones, hey, girl, I don't know, this might be it. I mean, what what do you do, Mike? I've never had that conversation. I practice it in my mind. I talk to my wife about when the time comes, da da da. However, practice is different from reality, Bill. Bill, have you ever had that conversation, Mike, I know you have, but Bill, what's your thoughts on that conversation?
2: You know, you know it, it's a good question because I was thinking about that as Mike was going through it. as you know, I'm self-employed and have been for a long time.
0: So but you're good looking though. You're good looking though. You're I am. so good yeah. looking though.
2: <laughs> I think losing that weight's affecting your brain.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and eyesight.
2: Eyesight, yeah. And eyesight. Definitely the eyesight. Uh, but the uh, you know, because I'm self-employed, um, my paychecks stop. You know, I have a company company will keep going and stuff, but you know, I work and I get paid to work. Uh I got some people working for me. So I'd have to probably if it was a long term thing and I wasn't going back, I'd probably have to look at selling the house, downsizing, consolidation, a whole bunch of financial wow. things uh, that, you know, and here's 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 the rub. If you're sick, like Mike is was, I can't help because I'm sick. I mean, I, I can't help move. I can't help, help do anything except be there. And, and chances are, Mike, did your wife have to be your your caretaker?
1: My wife and my kids. Um, yeah, they they all rallied around me. You know, Odell, you asked about telling your loved ones. It's it's one of the hardest things in the world because uh, you don't know what's going to happen to you. Uh, you don't know how ill you're going to be for how long. Uh, you don't know if you're going to die uh, when it's all said and done and breaking that kind of news to them. Uh, it was, it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. And it's hard, it's hard in several ways, because, you know, that they're, they're thinking about losing you. And you, but you also, in a a selfish way, uh, you sort of know that your life has totally changed. You see yourself as sort of, for a while, you see yourself as useless, that, you know, now you're being taken care of, you're, Fifty-nine years old, and you were the strong one, and you know you were the guy that they went went to uh, when they needed something or they need, needed you. And now they're taking care of you. And at fifty-nine years old, that was just really difficult to deal with. Mm. And uh, and you know up to that, I, I owned my own business at that point in time too, uh, because I had left the furniture industry to start that business. So I didn't have insurance. I did. Thank God for my wife. Uh, she worked for the county and had a, a good policy. And I swear we've, we've had the conversation a hundred times. If we wouldn't have had that insurance, we'd be bankrupt right now.
2: Yeah. Wow. Wow. And how long did this process take from the time you found out to the time you're, you're on your feet again and feeling better?
1: Probably a total of two years.
2: Holy cow. Wow! Now during wow. that two-year my, my, period, did you oh. ever say, you know, this might be the end? I want to go do something that I've never done. Did you ever? Think
1: um. That? I, no, I I didn't. Uh, you know I just during that period it was one day at a time. Um, it was it, you woke up and and you. The first thing you do is you, you feel your body, you feel how you feel and what hurts and what doesn't hurt. And you sort of take an inventory. Do I feel better than I did yesterday? And truthfully, I did that. And there's ups and downs because you have the bone marrow transplant, you have another broken vertebrae. uh, So you go through that cycle and everybody that, that um, I talked to that had the disease just said, hang in there, hang in there. It's going to get better um they were advocates that i dealt with and because of that i'm an advocate now and i i i'm a myeloma coach and i talk to people that are diagnosed with myeloma now and try to get them through it but but that's the process i went through and then when i started getting better that's when i started having thoughts of uh i've only got a limited amount of time this disease is going to get me it could get me sooner than later what am i capable of doing that I can do. And in 2019, I went back to Europe. My family's from Croatia. Uh, my, I'm a, I'm a second-generation American, uh, yeah. but I went and saw a family in Croatia. My son lives in Denmark. We spent time in Denmark. Yakimash,
2: Yakimash, Yakimash. Yakimash. Don't understand. Yakimash. It's Croatian, <laughs> I think. For uh, uh, really. Yeah, and Dubra is another one. My family. All from-
1: good. Dobro's good. Kakosi uh, is how are you?
2: Okay. And my family's from yeah. Brash. You know where that is in Croatia? BRAC. Where at? BRAC, Brash. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, my okay. family's from Gospic.
2: Okay. My mom's last name was Simonovic. And oh my gosh. They married a Martinovic.
1: <laughs> yes. We're Padians, and and my mom's was Kosovich.
2: Okay, great. So I interrupted you, but go ahead. You that's talking. all right. I couldn't when you said Croatia. There's not a lot of us, so we have to jump in. There.
1: No, no, that's 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 very interesting. But we did that, and it was wonderful because I had cousins that found out I was coming. Second and third cousins, and they took me to places like. Could, would never have imagined where my grandparents grew up. And I got to go to a cemetery that I had great, great grandparents in. And mm. he had done all sorts of study about families and that. He was able to point out my great cousins and great uncles and great, great grandfathers and stuff like that. It was really, it oh, was really wow.
2: pretty. How cool is yeah. that?
1: Did you get to Dubrovnik? Yeah. We did not. Uh, yeah, we got to Dubrovnik and split. Split. Okay. And then we got. We got in a car and just drove all over the
2: place. Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful coastline. The, uh, yeah, it You is. know, it, it occurred to me, and I'm going to let Odell jump in here in a minute, that uh, you mentioned earlier that it's going to come back, your disease. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you know that it's going to come back.
1: Yes. Yeah, huh. I do. Uh, when, we don't know. You know, it's, it, things have changed so much in the, since I was diagnosed, uh, I think the uh, 50 percentile survivor uh, time was like three and a half years, so I, I was when I was first diagnosed. I was looking at not getting to sixty-five. Mm-hmm. Uh, I turned I turned sixty-five this year. Uh, now I think the average survival rate is like up in the seven-year period. So medicine has really come a long way. Uh, most people with multiple myeloma do get it again, and they have to go on a different drug regimen. Uh, so it's, it's basically that the, the doctors and that and the medical community is starting to understand a whole lot better is and it's genetic based. They'll they'll do a genetic test on you. And uh, based upon your genetics, uh, it can multiple myeloma can attack you different ways. Mm. So they know from your genetics now what treatments work best when you, when it recurs on you. So it, it's possible I could I could live to an age that I would have lived to um at, at you know be, not being sick um and and it's wonderful and and i just have hope that that's the way it is i do know the thing that scares me the most uh is it that, that doesn't scare me to get sick again doesn't scare me to die what scares me is the the pain that i might have to deal with later on in my life because of the broken bones in my back because mm. i deal with it now so i so i don't know how it's going to be when i'm
2: 75 years old. Yeah, sure that makes sense. The uh, you know um, you talked about genetics, you know, I, I have a very high PSA. I've had it for years, have done all the biopsies uh, on the prostate. Uh, I think I'm at 12 or 13 and four is considered high. Uh, but I went to the Cleveland Clinic and uh, as you mentioned, they uh, what I what I tell people is go to the best doctors you can find. Uh, it's yep. just like going to the best auto mechanic or anything, because every, every doctor, w- when they graduate, whether they're first or sec- uh, last, they come out as doctor. And uh, mm-hmm. so you want to get the best one. And so I went to Cleveland Clinic because they're great in that area. And uh, they did a bunch of new procedures. And they last time I was there, they said, well, we've got one that we think might be able to put your mind at ease. I said, what's that? And he says, we do a uh, DNA test, genetic test. And we find out if you have the gene for prostate cancer. And if you don't have the gene for prostate cancer, it's not prostate cancer. Something's just screwing <clears throat> in the, in the in proteins. So I took that. And uh, what they do is I thought there was a yes and no. No, doctors don't do that. <laughs> it's <laughs> it, it, What they do is he says, uh, well, your rating is 97 or 98%. If your rating was 84%, you had a high po- probability of, getting prostate cancer, but you're so high in the 94, it doesn't eliminate it all the way, but it, it'd be yeah. very rare that you would get it. So it's interesting that they're using that with you.
1: Uh, genetic. Yeah, testing. Sure. Are. And they're, they're And again, they're finding out that uh, there are different genetic makeups for people <laughs> as far as uh, I, I don't know all the, all the terms, but you can lose one gene. You can gain a gene. T- genes can transfer, and I have, I think, what they call a uh, an eleven, uh, an eleven gene that is triple now versus a double, uh, but that's supposedly if you got multiple myeloma, that's the one you want. Okay. Um, so you know that's I cool. guess that's the good news.
2: Yeah. Well, I've got a brother in California who's going through a second bout with cancer. It came back, uh, and he, he's doing well. Uh, he's in his heavy chemo period. We're going to see him in July. we were going to go out and see him in March. My, I'm one of uh, five five boys. I have five brothers, so there's six of us and two sisters. And we're going to go out in March and visit him in California. And he says, uh, Billy, what are you going to do out here? I'm sick. And I said, well, we're going to hang out with you. He runs a hotel and he stays in the hotel. And, you know, we will go out to dinner. He said, I can't go out to dinner. I said, I know you can't go golfing. He says, no. I said, well, come and keep your company. He says, is this a death visit? And and I go, Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. No. And he says, well, that's what it feels like. How about if we do something else? I need something to look forward to. So let's all meet in Cleveland, July 4th, and I'll have something to look forward to. And before July comes, I'll get my doctors to pull me down on the chemo. So I'm not feeling bad and I'll come and spend time with everybody for July 4th weekend. So that's what we're doing. We're all come, coming together and, Gonna hang out with Kevin, and uh, he may we may take him golfing. He'll have to sit in the cart. Uh, yeah. But uh, I'll
1: tell you that that's a that's a great thing because I know that that's the type of thing that got me through it. Um, you know, yeah, I talked about one day at a time, but then when we started making plans for the trip or uh, plans to for my my kids to come, uh, I found out I was going to be a grandfather twice while I was sick with my first grandkids looking forward to those things, just gave, gave you a lot of strength and a lot of hope. And uh, what you're doing
0: is, is, is a good thing. It really is.
2: Oh, good to hear Odell. I took up some time. Your time, you know, buddy.
0: No, 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 It's our time. Cause it's a three-way conversation. I was just sitting there thinking and I started um, tearing up a little bit, um, Mike, because I'm approaching my 67, 60 second birthday tomorrow and my family asked me, you know, my wife always asked, we have a strategy at my house. I think they have a strategy. She asked, the kids say, ask daddy, what does he want for birthday? And I said, okay, I want to spend time with my family. And I guess I'm at a point now where I grew up poor. So I, I, my desire at first was not to be poor. So I tried to collect money. I worked hard from cutting grass to all those things as a young boy, so I could have money. So I spent a lot of time collecting money. And then I started collecting things. You know, you want a nice house, you want a nice car, you mm-hmm. want this, this, this. But now I'm at a point now where I'm trying to collect memories, mm-hmm. collect them and leave them because I know that I've lived more than half of my life. I don't think I'm going to live to be 124. I might. I don't think so. Um, bill got to check my math now. 62 times 2. You know, make sure I'm right. Because, you know, I went to school in South Carolina in the early 60s. <laughs> but, but, you know, when you start think about we have three alpha males in this conversation and we're talking about our loved ones, our families, our kids, our grandkids, how vulnerable we are about the fragile male ego. And I just love it because I know that men are sensitive in spite of what people say. I know that we could be vulnerable to our loved ones and to our mates and everything else. I don't care what people say, but one of the things Mike is the whole stem cells and not trying to get on a political defense. I remember years ago when stem cells. Oh my God, we can't do that. And I remember president Bush, if I'm not mistaken. And he's like, no, we are going to do it. And I feel real good about that. So talk a little bit more about that if you don't mind, because That made the difference. That's science. That's science. And sometimes we act like Jesus Christ has to arm wrestle with Sigmund Freud. We don't have to arm wrestle. Maybe Jesus Christ, our faith, can give Sigmund Freud science a high five and work together hand in hand. It doesn't have to be one or the other. We can work together. So that's what I'm thinking, Mike. Tell us about your faith and your stem cells transplant.
1: Uh, well, my, my faith grew, believe it or not, after I got sick. I, I guess it's it's easy to blame God, ask why me. Uh, that phase lasted about a day for me. Uh, wow. I, you talked about Job. You know, I, 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 I look at that and I said, you know, bad things do happen to good people. I, I'm, this isn't happening to me because I've been bad. It's, it's, just, it's just something that happens in life. So let's get through that part of it and put your faith in God to walk with you uh, through this this process. And His will will be done. and And that that process happened to me pretty quickly. Um, I was mad, absolutely upset, sad. I went through all the grief, all the steps of grief. Uh, but somehow, some way. Uh, I knew that God was by my side and he was going to get me through it. Um, That goes into the whole stem cell thing and my doctors. I have a wonderful doctor here in Greensboro. I had my stem cell transplant at Duke, uh, which is one of the top, uh, you know, teaching universities in the country and one of the top places to have a stem cell transplant done. So I had wonderful people there. And I really do believe that Medicine and science and God worked together to get me through the whole process, to get me back to my family, to get me to the point that I now am, where I'm writing books. I just started back to work full time. It's 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 almost like um, it's almost like that hope that I had uh, finally came into fruition. Everything, but. But I still know, I still know that bad things can still happen to, to me. I, I have that reality that uh, just because I have that hope and I have that faith, that it doesn't mean that I'm not going to get sick again. It just means that I'm going to have to rely on my faith and hope again and, and get through it again. Um, and, and I think that, that faith and that hope put me with the right doctors, the right people, the right surroundings. Um, gave me an opportunity to start writing blogs, uh, gave me an opportunity to, to, to write a novel, um, put me in a different place. And now it's put me in a place in the furniture industry where I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I'm able to help uh, the furniture industry. I'm, I'm with the American Home Furnishings Alliance right now, <clears throat> which is a group that, that protects the furniture industry. And it's almost like God sort of put me back where I belonged because I was in the furniture industry for 20 years. Um, I, I don't know what else to say. It's just it's been it's been a wild ride. And like I say, I I, I would have never seen or experienced any of these things without getting sick. So I, I, I wow.
0: in a lot of ways, I look at it as a good thing. Well, you know, it's it Job and we Bill brought up Job, who is the uh, Bill is our Bible scholar. Or our holy scripture scholar, Job had friends, Mike, Bill, and Odell, that came to him and said, What did you do? Yes. See, Mike, you were high fly. You were traveling around the world. You know, what did you do? You know, and I'm not, I'm not saying that any of your friends came to you and said, It's your fault, what did you do? My question yeah. is, and I wanna be specific did people start acting funny that's a black people term we say acting funny did people start acting weird that's more what white people say weird around you because sometimes when you're going through some of our friends or associates kind of get distance from us without calling any names
1: uh yeah it did it did happen
0: um but
1: it only happened with a minority of my friends and and those, those minority good friends, I even found out that a good part of them uh, uh, sort of walked away because they didn't know what to say to me. They wow. were, yeah, they were afraid wow. of, yeah, confronting that and, uh, and felt bad that, 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 that they didn't know what to say to me. <clears throat> they didn't want it. They told me that they didn't want to see me sick. They didn't want to face that. And so they preferred to stay away. Uh, I, th- I think the thing that I found more than anything is people just don't know what to say. Um, <clears throat> they don't know what you're going, unless they've been through it, they don't know what you're going through. Um, they don't know where your head is. Uh, some people that get sick uh, don't want to be told that, hey, you're looking good. How you feeling? Uh, so, you know, well, and their reaction is, you know, how do you know how good I am or how I feel, you know? Wow. Uh, and, and there's a, uh, there's a portion of us that get sick that want people to tell you <laughs> how good you look and how you're looking healthy. And, and that no matter how sick you are, it's, if you look good on the outside, that's good enough. And um, so I had, had friends like that. It's just, uh, I, I can't say a lot of them walked away. Uh, they may have gotten weird in terms of not ex- exactly knowing what to say uh, or how to deal with it. Uh, but I've got to admit, overall, I had a great, great support system between Perfect. friends and family. I really did. Perfect.
2: Bill? You got, you got a point there. You know, a good friend of mine went through um, the same kind of thing you did, a little different, though, but he had to have a um, blood transfusions all the time because he had cancer of the blood then he had a bone marrow transplant and he came mm. out and it actually changed the type of blood in his body. Mm. Uh, he went from one type to another, which I didn't know, but I was afraid to go and visit David, uh, in that his immune system has been so, was so low. Yeah, And this was even before COVID clearly with COVID, yeah. I, I wasn't going anywhere near him. Uh, but you know, I didn't want to be the guy that gave him the flu or <laughs> gave him a cold, uh, even though I love the guy, I cared for him, you know, I called him a few times, but again, you don't know what to say. Uh, You almost don't have the same normal conversation like, Hey, Odell, we're going to meet for lunch. You know, uh, we're going to go down to the hat store and go do this and do that. You know, knowing that you're not capable of doing it, I wouldn't have that kind of conversation. So I guess you could talk about your procedures, but that's probably the last thing you want to talk about because you're feeling it. And you know, so what yeah. you're you, on your side of the fence how can you advise people on my side of the fence what great to say question oh my answer. god
0: bill you're a superstar bill and you look good you're a superstar yeah. great question
1: thank you yeah that, that is a good question I I would uh, I would advise them to just ask really ask questions uh, because a lot of people a lot of advocates that I deal with, wanted to talk about their situation, wanted to talk about how they felt. Uh, they didn't feel pe- they didn't feel bad about people saying, you know, tell me about what's going on with you, what can I is there anything I can do? you know that, that we don't like people to say, just tell me what you need and I'll get it for you." Because you know that that's probably not the case, but you like for people to you like for people to say, hey, what do you need? Do you need anything from me? What can I do? I, I, I've got to tell you, just phone calls uh, from people saying, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. That was, the, that was actually one of the most important things is I had so many people say, I'm praying for you. And a lot of times when I was going through a lot of pain, I was, I, that was in my head. I've got people praying for me. It's gonna, this is going to happen. And that was really important to me to hear that. Uh, it was important. And I don't, I know that's not going to be the same with everybody, but it was important to get the phone calls. You talked about, you talked about Brad, uh, our, our, our friend. Uh, I remember him calling up and saying, I'm going to bring you dinner. What do you want? You know, uh, and, and you know, I, Hey, Brad, I'm feeling for Mexican tonight. Brad showing up and <laughs> with, you know, with takeout from the Mexican. I had, I had a lot of people uh, concerned about my immune system. I'm immune immune compromised now uh, because of my disease. I have to take a, a daily pill that's a chemo pill. So it keeps me immune compromised. So I was wearing masks way before COVID. I'll be wearing masks way after COVID. Uh, I even, I even um, worked at starting, or I actually did start a nonprofit organization to try to bring uh, some reality to mask wearing. Uh, I, I started it before COVID because people with masks walking around airports before COVID were like, people would just jump away from you. Like there, there was something wrong with you. And, and so I started it to try to to, to try to teach people that there are a lot of immune deficient people out there. We're not sick. We're trying to keep from getting sick. We're okay. And then COVID came and the whole idea of the nonprofit turned into, wait a second, everybody's turned this into a political exercise. And I still have to wear a mask. How do I educate people on immunocompromise and immune deficiencies? And um, uh, so that the whole game changed now. Now, masks are common. Uh, I think things are sort of winding down. I went to the Elton John concert uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I'm immune compromised, but I'm not gonna stop my life. Um, And I wore a mask. I wore a mask, washed my hands. It's my responsibility. It's nobody else's responsibility to keep me safe. And, and that's sort of the way I look at it. But people were concerned about that, about getting me sick, rightfully so. And I'm happy they were, but when they made that phone call or said they were praying for me, that's, that made all the difference in the world.
2: How about text? Can they send you a text? Does that they work? send there? me a
1: text too, absolutely. Yeah.
2: You know, so yeah. what I heard you say is reach out to me. Let me know you care that you are praying for me, offer me, uh, food. (laughs) Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and, uh, and you know, that, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Those are, those are simple things people can do.
1: Yeah. Just show you care. Just show you're thinking about that person.
2: Did people come over and cut your grass and do stuff like that?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I had people doing things for me. My son, uh, uh, he stayed. He, he, I, t- I mentioned he lives in Denmark. He stayed in town for like an extra month, worked it out at work to be able to stay over here. My daughters took care of my wife. Uh, I just had I had, uh, like I say, I. that's one thing I wasn't lacking in when I got sick was was people caring for me and loving me through the process.
2: Wow. That's, that's fantastic. The um, Odell's a couple of things for you. Tomorrow's your birthday. I got that on my calendar. Uh, what food do you want for your birthday? Since you're on a diet, I was thinking big old bowl of fried
0: chicken. Bill, 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 quit saying the four letter word, please. I'm on a program. I'm on a program. Um, I'll be going out of town, um, leaving, going, having dinner tonight in Charlotte with my, all my children are flying in. I'll be with my grandkids and I will, I'm planning on having grilled salmon over a bed of healthy salad tonight and tomorrow I will have something similar. But you know, I, I thought about it, guys. I mean, here we are men talking about love, talking about caring, talking about our, all all our doubts. And we are taught as men to suppress all that stuff. And I'm just sitting here just amazed at this conversation and giving other men permission to talk about our fears, you know, and ask for help. Because sometimes men, you know, I'm sure you all got the same thing that I grew up with. Men don't cry. Men don't cry. Men don't Mm -hmm. cry. What does that mean? What does that mean, Mike? What does that mean, Bill? Were you all taught men don't cry? I was taught that uh, like I mentioned, I was from a, uh, strong Croatian family
1: with strong men. And, and it was just like, you just, you just didn't do, didn't do that. Uh, uh, but I've, I've grown up and learned from some very special people that it's, it's okay to cry. And, and I don't know if you guys even got a chance to, to read my novelette about <clears throat> how my dog and I met my, my uh, service dog and I met, uh, but, uh, I pretty much pour out my heart in that book as far as how I felt and and how I cried and and, and I did that because I want people to understand that uh, when life is devastating you, it's it's okay to grieve. Do you want
2: to read part of that book, the part section that you thought might you might want to read?
1: I don't I don't have that with me, but I, okay. I can tell you that there's there's a portion of the book. Um where, uh, I talk about wanting to die.
0: Wow. Um,
1: yeah. And that's probably, I really throw it all out there at, at that point. There were, there were days I wasn't thinking suicide. Uh, that wasn't that to me, that wasn't an option, but there were days that I asked God just to take me away. Um, you know, don't, and as it was as much for me as it was for my family, I just didn't want them to see me like that anymore. Um, cause mm. I know the impact it was having on me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I can see that. But, but God got me through it. Yeah. He really did. Uh, I'm not, I'm not much in terms of memorizing scripture. Uh, but there, there was a, I think it's Romans five where, where there's, it talks about be happy even in your misery, basically, because it helps you endure, you know, and endurance and endurance gives you something else. And that gives you hope. And uh, I ended up writing a blog on that verse. That verse was one that really hit me uh, because it told me that you can be happy in your pain and your misery because it leads to other things. And I even uh, I even ended up with taking it a step further uh, because I had heard I'd read somewhere that that hope, uh, the way it was written in the Bible, meant a promise that would be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And and because I knew that that that's what it meant, a promise that would be fulfilled, that I had nothing to worry about. And it led me to believe that if there was if Paul wrote one more sentence, he would have said, and hope gives you patience. Because to me, patience is is like the the key to get through, getting through all of that, is you just you you have to have that hope, and that hope gives you that patience. It makes you understand that there's something better
0: on the tail end, no matter what happens.
2: Amen. Well said. Well said,
0: brother. uh, I'm laughing, Bill, you know, and Mike in the black church, when you were preachers now, we say preach, brother, preach, you know, we say (laughs) preach, brother, preach. Uh, Mike, what's the name of your book? What's the name of your blog? How do people find your book? How do they find your blog? Okay. Uh, The, uh, my, my personal blog is uh,
1: at, at www.feff.com cancerblog.com uh i write a lot of articles for uh www.blood-cancer.com i've probably got 30 articles i've written for them um i've written uh, uh like i said two books uh the one i wrote with a friend of mine is a spy thriller called untruthful speech and my novelette that i wrote about how my dog and I met, which is a part memoir. It's probably a half memoir, half fiction. Cause I don't know what happened to me. where my, I don't know where my dog came from. He was a street dog. Uh, and, and they found him at the, at the same time, my daughters decided that I needed a um, service dog and they found this dog off the streets. He was, he was scrawny and had mange and everything else. And so I sort of wrote fiction as to, how he got to where he got before he met me, uh, but uh, that's that's the one I wrote. And right now I'm editing a book called The Liminal, which is a young adult, uh, the first of a series, young adult uh, supernatural thriller, um, and uh, that'll probably be out this summer.
2: Wow, who's your publisher? And
1: all of it, all of it will be on Amazon. All of it's on Amazon.
2: Oh, Amazon. Okay, very good. Yeah, very good. Well, we're getting up to the end here. Mike. And we always ask our guests, how do you find common ground?
1: Well, there's, there's a couple of ways, but I probably the most obvious one is I deal a lot with advocating for chronically ill people. It doesn't matter what disease you have. doesn't matter what's hurting you. I, I, I want to advocate mostly my, my multiple myeloma. And, you know, I found that your political views, your religious views mean nothing when you're sick. Uh, I, you work with you work with those people. You're trying to help. You're trying to help other people get through their challenges and their miseries and their grief and everything else. And I find common ground with all of them. We never talk about things other than how do we help other people. Um, and I have to admit, I find common ground with the co-author of uh, my untruthful speech book. And we're getting, we're doing. Actually, we're do, starting to get ready to. Write The second in that series uh, for this guy. He's a, he's a lifelong friend. Uh, he's Hispanic. Uh, we've known each other since we were 12 years old. He is a liberal. I am a conservative, but we talk to each other at least once a week. When I was sick, he called me almost every day. Um, we, got, we got even closer in our 60s than we were when we were kids uh, growing up. And we have conversations, sort of like you guys have conversations, and some in some of your the conversations you have. We have conversations, and we try to find common ground in our beliefs about things. So I find I find there uh, I find in him uh, that I I can I can find my common ground.
2: That is well said. Well said. Well, Mike, it's been an honor to have you on and let you share your story. I know it's inspiring. Thank, thank you for our having guest. me. You're welcome. I see see your dog in the background there.
1: Oh, yeah, that's Finn, my service dog. And and you'll find out in the book, but I'll I'll, uh, uh, spoiler alert. His name is spelled Mm F-Y-N-N. And when I was going to pick him up, my neighbor, Moni, who had uh, breast cancer. So we shared our stories. She came over and said, when are you going to pick up your dog? And I said, today. And she said, what's his name? And I said, Finn. And and it was F-I-N-N. And she says, oh, you understand what that that means, don't you, Finn? And I said, no, I don't. And she said, yeah, F-Y-N-N, find your new normal. (laughs) So I basically changed I changed his name right there to F-Y-N-N.
2: Oh, man, that's a great story. That's a great story. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Odell, I just want to wish you a happy birthday and uh,
1: happy birthday.
2: Yep, yeah, and I, you know, I'm so proud of you to be on a program, and uh, <laughs> you're making you're making progress on a program. I'm going to have to have a t-shirt made. It's not a four-letter word. It's a program.
0: Exactly, <laughs> Mike. Listen, one thing. Tell us about your beautiful, lovely wife who stood by you. You said you were married for 40. How many years? It'll be 43 in August. Can you tell the audience, our national audience? about your wife, please, and how she stood by you? Because, you know, the Bible says it's sickness of health, and that sounds good on the wedding day. But can you tell us about your wife, please? Yeah, my wife, Sue, is,
1: uh, what can I say, a wonderful, wonderful human being, a wonderful mother Uh, with Mother's Day coming up this weekend. uh, I can't tell you how much her children love her and look up to her. Uh, she's, she, I, I, I've been a a real dummy sometimes in our marriage and somehow, some way she has figured out a way of working, working around it and, and loving me through all of that. Uh, I, when, and and I, I did, I, I've told the story in one of my blogs that when, when we went to the doctor and I mentioned, they saw my, my bone structure and said, look at it when it's healthy and look at it. Now we're, we're not sure what it is. Um, uh, I, my wife is a nurse. I had no idea what multiple myeloma was. My wife looked at the doctor and, and mouth those words, multiple myeloma as in a question. And he shook his head. Yes. And when I saw the fear and the tears in her eyes um i i knew something was really really wrong but through all of that she she knew what it was she knew what she was in for she knew what i was in for and you could you could tell at that moment she was the strongest human being in that room she was gonna, she was going to make sure everything was okay she's she's an amazing woman
0: wow
2: very good well, wish her a happy Mother's Day from Odell
0: and I. I will. Wow, you know, as we close, I just think it's so awesome when grown alpha males can share our feelings. I think that's a new normal, guys. We have to share. We have to share with the people who love us, and we love them. We have to let them know. And it doesn't take anything away from our manhood to tell them. Listen, thank you. I love you. Just, I, I know, I know. In so many cases, our fathers didn't do that with us. In my case, my father wasn't there with growing up. But in uh, so many cases, maybe the father wasn't lovey-dovey and all this kind of stuff. But guys, we have to do better. We have to do better. And I don't think it takes anything from our manhood to say to our wives, thank you. To our kids, thank you. And that's just my thought. I'm not judging anybody. So those who are listening to me, I'm not judging. But to Mike's point, We don't know how much time we have. We don't know how much time we have. So to Bill, I love you. Mike, my new friend, I love you too. And that's all a good looking black man has to say, Bill. That's all I have. And I think, I love where we're going on the show that we can help others as we learn ourselves.
2: Amen. Amen, amen. Mike,
1: thanks for being on the show.
0: Guys, thank you, it's been a pleasure find bill and odell online at the common show this podcast is a production of bg ad group darren sutherland executive producer jeremy powell creative director jacob sutherland director all rights reserved